And now, an Arizona PBS original production. Books and Company is made possible by the Department of English at Arizona State University and by the Friends of Arizona PBS, members of Arizona PBS who give additional gifts to support original programs. Thank you. Welcome to Books and Company. Bienvenidos todos. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We're joined today by detective novelist Cara Black, talking about her latest book, Murder on the Left Bank, yes. published by Soho Crime. Welcome, Cara. Uh, bonjour, Alberto. Bonjour. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, murder on the Left Bank. Yes. Murder. It could have been something else. Like we're going to have some peanuts on the left bank. Or, <laughs> but, but this is a genre that speaks to the immediacy of an active something, normally a crime. Right. What makes you think that way? Oh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I got into my life of crime, so to say, <laughs> in, you know, 18 books ago. Um, but it was and we should say, this is the 18th book of the Amy Leduc. 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 <laughs> uh, detective uh, yeah. series, mm -hmm. and and so you started the first book by thinking, I'm going to kill somebody. Actually, <laughs> the first book came from a story I heard in Paris. My okay. friend's mother was a hidden Jewish girl during the German occupation, mm -hmm. and I was kind of fascinated by that. Um, I went back to Paris 10 years later, and I had a young child, and I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I was thinking through the eyes of a, of a mother, and, mm -hmm. you know, what would I have done if that happened to me? So when I came home again, um, my father, the big reader in our family, who got me started on, <laughs> he, was, he loved mysteries, and he said, you know, you talk about that story all the time. Why don't you tell that story? And I was going, I don't know how to tell it. And he goes, mysteries. Mm -hmm. That's a great framework to tell a story. Mm -hmm. Et voila. And there you go. So here we are. 18 books later, this is the 18th. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about Murder on the Left Bank, this book. Sure. As the 18th installment of, of this character's life. Right. right. So Amy LeDuc is half French, half American. She's taller and thinner than I am. <laughs> she lives on the Ile Saint-Louis because that's where I would like to live. And she inherited a detective agency on the Rue du Louvre, which is based on the real Duluc detective. And now in her life, she is a young uh, single mother. She has Chloe, her baby daughter, who's 10 months old. She has to run the detective agency with her partner, René Friant, computer hacker, uh, and he's a dwarf. And she's got to so earn the baguette and butter it as well. She's got to deal with the men in her life, the man in her life, and really kind of juggle motherhood, business, a personal life, and. Um, so that's who she is, and when this starts, uh, it's early September 1999, she um, gets, uh, well, I can't reveal too much, or I'd, you know, have to, uh, you know. There's a lot of worry that we've now forgotten about Y2K. Yes, exactly. And so she has this firm mm -hmm. that uh, is kind of in between detectiving and fixing and, and arranging, yeah. and um, in the novel, it seems to me there are three parts, and one is that work, which is the work of her firm, whatever that company. Computer whatever, security. Computer right. security, her personal life. Right. And then 
the mystery, the, the mystery the, the, that she gets wrapped up in, and you, you know, it 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 detracts from both of those other strands. Mm -hmm. But clearly, that's what's moving the book. Right. Right. Now, now, what do you think about that notion of three strands? It's like braiding, and they all start to come together. Yeah. But they pull at each other. Well, yeah, as in life, you know, <laughs> in life, life it can be really messy, and especially when you're trying to mm -hmm. take care of your baby. Um, but because I write a series, so we really need to know where she is in her life and mm -hmm. kind of what's going on with her because I, I see that whole, uh, her wound is her family, you know, her father dying in that bomb explosion in Place Vendôme, her American mother on the wa uh, terrorist watch list. I mean, that's always an mm -hmm. ongoing kind of uh, worry for her. And so in her life, we need to see something else. And I think a, a really good novel, detective novel, crime novel, one I want to read, has really meat on the bones, so to say. You've got, you know, there's another subtext to this. Mm -hmm. And to me, this, this man, uh, Monsieur Solomon, who's, uh, you know, dying and comes uh, for help and has given a confession of what he's done to, uh, to the lawyer who's, who Amy knows, there's something about a redemption quality, I think, mm -hmm. in this story. Well, we hope we hope we there hope will so. be redemption, <laughs> and he's coming clean after 50 years of lying. And there's a cabal of dirty cops, fleeks, um, and politicians, and it may involve Amy's dead father or not. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of pulled into this to mm -hmm. find out about this. And um, I think you know the past, in, especially in the 90s, when what I'm writing mm -hmm. about, and we were just talking about this earlier. It this was coming to into people's uh, psyche during the 90s when people were, it was 50 years after the war, and people were talking about what happened during those dark times. So mm -hmm. I think you can't write about the 90s without referencing that. Mm -hmm. With a different kind of openness. I mean, it, it's exactly Now, what happens here, too, is you mentioned a sort of list of characters, but one character stands out, and it's Paris, Paris itself which plays, a, I, I think, a, a pretty substantial role uh, in the book. You know, it, it's interesting to me, it, it, every time I've gone to a big city, let's say London or New York or Paris, I feel like I know it already, and, and I know it because I'm a reader. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's been part of my upbringing. And even if I'd never gone there, I recognize things, that, which seems impossible, and yet, of course, you're doing that all the time. Totally. That... that Sensibility plays well, I think, to an American audience reading this about about Paris. You you may never have gone, but it doesn't mean you won't recognize everything that's here. Thank you. I think every American yeah. has a Paris. Absolutely. Whether it's the you know Hemingway's book, or yeah. they went there on their honeymoon, or their junior year abroad, or yeah. you know through Audrey Hepburn's yeah. movies. Yeah. We we've all had, and I had that you know sort of my own Paris until I first went there, and yeah. I really wanted to write about the gritty side, the side. That you know the darker side of the city of light and and off the beaten track and so but yes I mean we mm. all have that image I didn't mm. really want to do the Berean baguette stereotype mm -hmm. I wanted to mm -hmm. meet fleeks and and hear about it fleeks we should say yes. is a, a term for <laughs> cops right. right and and there you have a vocabularium here of French that in so many ways oils or butters the way between paragraphs. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's not that the book is in French at all, but there's enough, a soupçon. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> that keeps us understanding that language is happening, and it may not be the language we think we're, we're hearing. It, it, we're reading it in English, but something else is going on. 
Exactly. It's like flavoring. You know, yeah. it's kind of like to remind us, oh, yes, we're in mm -hmm. Paris, and Amy would say that. And of course, when you enter a shop, it's always bonjour. You mm -hmm. know, otherwise, it's rude, you know. Mm -hmm. But when you, we're talking about place, uh, thank you very much. And I think uh, place is a part of, Paris is a character in the story. And this arrondissement, the 13th arrondissement, is huge. Mm -hmm. It incorporates so much. An arrondissement is a section. Exactly. It's just a formalized name, a district, let's right. say. There's 20 uh, arrondissements in Paris. Okay. It started on the Ile, Ile de la Cité with Notre Dame, and it went out like a spiral, like mm. a snail, and each king built a wall, and the next king knocked it down, and it became <laughs> the Paris we know today. And this arrondissement was incorporated in 1860, wow. when Haussmann was doing a lot of, uh, you know, making those big boulevards that we think of today. Yes. And, and so this area, they just took a bunch of little villages and brought them in, and uh, so it, it, and I love this area. It really worked on me after after writing mm. this story. These little pockets of charm, these worker mm. houses, these mm. two-story, these cobbled lanes, yeah. Butokai means hill of the quails, but there's no quails there no anymore. There. <laughs> what you're describing is an interesting architectural approach. If we think of as here uh, a city expanding outward, you're describing a city that expanded in a kind of a spiral sort of way, so that the suburbs end up being inside the center of the city in a curious way. Each with their own flavor, yeah, you know? Like yeah. the whole Bastille area was a big furniture-making <laughs> workshop and woodworkers, because they'd float the wood down on the barges and they would come up through these small alleys mm -hmm. right on the riverbank. And it's still a center of woodworking and furniture-making, mm -hmm. you know? Well, and you have this in the book. You have the, uh, the, the, the weaving, is it weaving, the dyeing? And the, the tapestries, The yeah. tapestries, and, yeah. and, and you, you it's, it's a guild-like setting. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not maybe with high core security, because <laughs> <laughs> no. But it's very old world. But it, it clearly you have to know what you're doing, and people, people, know you. It's not a big world. I mean that this is a, all areas of specialization. So when somebody like the character comes into this setting, they kind of say, "What are you doing here?" Exactly. And she's prepared. She's prepared. Yes, this is the Gobelin Tapestry Factory that's mm -hmm. been there since 16-something, and it was built by royal decree. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the king, whatever king started it, and it, when you actually, I went on a tour, and then I met a tapestry weaver and learned about her, all the, you uh -huh. know, five years of apprenticeship and learning. But when you go inside, it's like you're stepping back into 1679. It's wow. not changed. It is like a guild, you know, mm -hmm. they have standards and mm -hmm. weaving these tapestries that, that aren't for you and I, right? Mm -hmm. They're chateau-sized. But they dye the, the threads, and then they weave. it takes several weavers, like several years to make these big, giant, giant wow. tapestries. And they're apparently huge. I love that you're saying weaving, because it's what we said earlier on that I, I'm, I'm suggesting you were doing in the book with these different uh, strands of, of activity uh, that the character is going through. Uh, when, when we do that, we learn uh, about Paris and the rules of Paris, which are potentially different from the rules of behavior for us as Americans. Yeah. And uh, it's intriguing that language will give us a different way to conceptualize the world. Behavior you know, comes out of that, we start to do things. And I think these affect the mystery that we're, that we're seeing here. You, you have a very curious relationship to um, concentration camps and to uh, uh, escape 
notions of escape, and notion, it, it, but, they, but they end up, rather than being horrific in this later context of the 90s, they become the solution. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which I think is a great uh, you know, you. voyage. You know, it's a great voyage from desperation to desperation for a completely different reason. Right? When I sent my manuscript to my editor, um, she said, oh, you've written this story, and it's, it's sort of about redemption, and mm -hmm. it's about when a good person does bad things for good reasons. Mm -hmm. And I went, is that what my story is about? <laughs> she said, yes. I said, that's why I have there a great go. editor who goes, you know, but there is that sort of journey. That, sure. And it was amazing for me to discover as well and to tie in the Goblin Tapestry yeah. Factory because that's very much a symbol. But also, I wanted to say about the art mm -hmm. in the 13th arrondissement. I remember when graffiti and tagging buildings was against the law, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now it's an art form, yeah. and especially in this arrondissement. Mm -hmm. The mayor is a socialist mayor. He encourages young people mm -hmm. to do this. It's sort of elevated into an art form. It's gone mainstream. Several of the taggers, like Miss Teak and Jeff Aerosol, are famous, and they do gallery openings. So and these are actual... Taggers. Totally, yeah. Artists. Yes, and they do these huge sides of building. I mean, they're really well done, and he promotes that. <laughs> so it was like, that's a new way to look at art, as well as they've got this ancient mm -hmm. tradition. And there used to be the river that ran through that they uh, went, that they closed because it was so yeah. acidic with dyes and And I want to talk about that river. I would just like to take a moment to remind our viewers, you're watching Books and Company. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We are joined today by Cara Black, who's talking about her latest Amy LeDuc. Uh, could you say Amy LeDuc's name? Amy LeDuc. Amy LeDuc. Uh, <laughs> her latest book, uh, Murder on the Left Bank. Uh, that river, uh, we, we think of the Seine, but there is an older river in Paris. Maybe you could just talk about that. Sure. For a well, the, the river, the Bièvre River, runs to the Seine. But it's, there, were, there were all these smaller rivers, and this is where, it, next to the tapestry factory, because yeah. they were dyeing threads, and, um, and then they were uh, leather workers were tanning hides, and it was very much a, mm. uh, you know, that kind mm -hmm. of work, and it got so polluted and awful um, that it, they closed it in 1920s. So, but that went into the, into the Seine, which, and the Seine, Seine is very close. Mm. So the book is called Left Bank, but it's not the left bank a lot of people think right, about. It's, right. it's a new left bank with the okay. Bibliothèque Mitterrand, you know, the very okay. modern library that, that looks like a table upside down. Yeah. It was Mitterrand's big, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, his monument to himself. <laughs> and then when they opened it, they had no librarians consult on it. So the sun Extraordinary. came yeah. in and ruined the books. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That story is heartbreaking in there. And we're laughing um, at first mm. uh, because it's a funny gaffe. I mean, it just makes no sense. But real consequences and that it's a real life story is tragic. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that river and uh, the Rive Gauche, it, which we may not, you know, we're, we're maybe not sure which one it is or where, where we are is a, a good way to think about the footing we're on as we're reading this, because we think we know one thing and we're, we're moved towards some other uh, place to stand as uh, deceptions happen and mistakes happen, and I think those things become part and parcel of how a murder mystery works, but specifically how this one is working. Clues and red herrings. Clues and red herrings, emphasis on red. <laughs> it, there's a red hoodie 
that plays a, a, a major role, and I, I'm not giving anything away, but it, it, what, the reason that's so intriguing is the hood in contemporary culture is becoming an interesting, um, you know, mode of apparel. Yeah. And uh, we can't tell what what what, it, what somebody might be up to sometimes, or we have that perception. But there's kid world, and kids wear all sorts of things all the time, very innocent. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's almost a little Red Riding Hood moment, you know. Just thank you for catching oh, that. Yeah, oh, no, good. No, it, it was very clear, and 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 I think that. So you're 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 talking about fable as much as you know uh, maybe contemporary sensibility. And uh, where we are, again, is a little bit difficult to say. Exactly, exactly. But, um, and not to reveal too much, but that swimming pool in Nubito Kai yes. is fed with this you know, natural mineral water, and you can go to the spring and take the water. And um, I just thought that was such a vital thing, yeah. because people in the neighborhood come, and they bring their bottles, and they yeah. fill it up, and they take their babies to swim. And, yeah. you know, it, it's very much... The, what were once these villages, yeah. there is that feeling, you know, that little ambiance of that. You know, a lot mm. of workers live there. Mm. Um, and that still is there, the vestiges of the past. And, mm. and Le Petit Asie, you know, the, what they, mm -hmm. people call the biggest Chinatown in Paris. It's not Chinatown, mm -hmm. but it's got Cambodians and Laotians and Vietnamese. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to bring that in because it's really part mm -hmm. of Part of that part and, of Paris. And probably not a way we, we think about or imagine Paris today, uh, certainly uh, as Americans, that uh, France, like all countries, is dealing with all kinds of immigrant populations, changing uh, the population entirely, and, and the way you're portraying it is quite dynamic. And uh, every, every place, every arrondissement, mm -hmm. has something to offer, and as opposed to being a, an impediment or a problem or, or whatever. It's just this great working jigsaw puzzle. Exactly. And France's uh, relationship to the immigrants is different from us because yeah. they had a colonial empire. So you've got Indochine, right? And you mm -hmm. have people coming from what we call Vietnam now, Cambodia, and um, Two years ago, I went to Cambodia with my family. We went to see Angkor Wat, and wow. I was looking for the vestiges of the French, you know, and, mm -hmm. and my son kept saying, there's nothing left here anymore, and I thought, well, we can buy baguettes in the market, <laughs> and there's some old buildings that say Ecole de Garçon, and mm -hmm. um, then they had these road markers, milestones. Mm -hmm. We used, used to have, like, 10 kilometers to mm -hmm. the next town. So I was looking for that, and, and I asked people, oh, do you speak French? Everyone said, no, my grandmother does, but oh. not anymore. And, you know, the younger wow. generation don't speak French. You know, that's, that's from before. So I wanted that's to ex explore yeah. that with the young Cambodians in yeah. modern-day Paris. Yeah. Well, as, as we go through the book, you have some moments that are, are um, I would call them poetic. Yeah. And, and you, have, you have, if I can just read you uh, mm -hmm. one or two little moments that I thought were just particularly beautiful. The sloping zinc roofs with their forests of chimney pots were barely discernible against a deepening indigo sky. And then you had this wonderful phrase, you should say it, entre chien et loup. The dim light in which one couldn't distinguish a dog from a wolf. It's a very special, very magical, it's a, a you know, I, I think it, we, we talked about fable earlier, fable, so much happens in that light yeah. that you start to give us something about Paris, which is the city of light, but we forget light means all light. Yeah. <laughs> and we have immigrant populations that are all sorts of faces. And, and so you're, you're giving us 
a different way to see Paris, I think. Mm, thank you. And people say that that phrase today, mm. you know, it's that special time, you yeah. know, it's... Uh, the witching from, hour. Yeah, the witching <laughs> hour. That's late, but, you know. Yeah, from medieval times, yeah. they've always said that, you know, because yeah. they were worried about the wolves coming into Paris. That's why wow. the kings built the walls. I mean, it's... It, but, but it's very particular to, well, Paris or, or places like Paris, that slate color, mm. which it, it, it's that gris, you know, it's that gray, that grayness that... Yes. that uh, you're right, it's the color of wolf. You know? And uh, uh, I don't know what that does to the psyche or the imagination of somebody just lying looking at that. And yeah. You play with that. I, I think that's... Uh, Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you see those rooftops, you know it's mm -hmm. Paris. Huh? I mean, that's kind of emblematic, and, and they do catch the light in many different ways. And if it's gray and if it's a little scary, you, you had this other quotation from Camus where you said that he said, or the character says that he said. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that character, yes. Autumn is a second spring where every leaf is a flower. Autumn is a second spring where every leaf is a flower. That the, the, um, the world is not dying, it's flowering in a different way, and it was just quite a, a, a redemptive, we, we were talking about redemption earlier, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and this color of gray, it, something there as well. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Camus said it, but I well, thought no, it was. But, but you used it well in in a, in a point. I, I think a plot point there in which it it helps us to understand something good mm. is going to happen. You don't. You're not saying that uh, in, in that moment, but it's a it's a little spot of hope. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we need that, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we go through the whole story. We want them to get something, we right? Do. We yeah. do. We do. Well, how long does it take? You're, you're writing, uh, this is the 18th mm -hmm. installment. Um, how long has it taken you to write those 18? And Well, um, I, I think my first book came out in 99, 1999. Okay. And you know, um, Alberto, there's only 20 arrondissements, so I'm getting up there. <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, I've, <laughs> and so someone would say, what are you going to do yeah, next? And I'm like, yeah. oh, no. And my editor said, well, she can leave Paris. Oh. <laughs> and I was in, in France in May, and I went to Marseille. And I met, a, I met some gangsters, and that's oh. all I'll say, right? Okay. It was very cool. <laughs> and I'm here to talk. I'm okay, here. Okay, you're still here. I'm still here. One piece, okay. Very interesting in Marseille, and talking about the light in Marseille. Yeah. Oh. So, so we never know what's going to happen. Know. We never know. Uh, what is the place of France in your life? What what made you choose France over wherever you grew up, for example? Or I'm, a, I'm my father was a Francophile. We are not French. We are from Nebraska stock. We are <laughs> nothing. Um, um, my uncle had lived in France after World War II to study art on the GI Bill, uh -huh. but he just drank a lot of red wine. We, we, we <laughs> he would tell stories. But, and then my I had some of the, with those baguettes you were talking about. Definitely. Right? <laughs> and then my father sent me to a French Catholic school with oh. nuns who taught me archaic French, hmm. uh, which I found out when I first went to Paris. <laughs> and I'm going, what? We haven't heard that since 1900. Um, <laughs> but so there was this strange, and my mother, my poor mother, at that time when I was growing up, Julia Child was doing her live kitchen show in right. San Francisco, live as in mm. she, the chicken would drop and she'd put it back in the pot. And, um, so I remember. You remember that. So my father would make my mother watch that and to try and cook like that. So there's this strange Francophiliac oh. gene in our family. Um, and so when I went to Paris when I was 18 and 
you know, backpacking around. I was looking for that Paris that I thought I knew or that I'd heard about or, you know, in the franchise. I mean, it felt very familiar, mm -hmm. yet I was a foreigner. Mm -hmm. And I still am. So, so mm -hmm. there was odd to play with that. Mm -hmm. And I think in a detective novel, you're all, a detective is always observing, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're pulling back because it's their job to watch things. And I was thinking about uh, Georges uh, Simenon in the Inspector Maigret sure. novels, right? And Simenon was a Belgian. Big important fact. So when he mm. lived in Paris, he was also looking at it through other eyes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So yes. I think a foreigner can observe things as Donna Leone right. as well as American right. but lives there. So I think that brings in, something in to Venice, it. Venice, yeah. And I, so that's, that got me into my life of crime, as I said before. I into don't know why. Life of crime. <laughs> but I knew there were so many stories in Paris, and mm -hmm. I just fell in love with it. And it's so unexpected. What you think is going to be one way is so different. And so. Let me ask just one last quick question sure. about technology. You're writing in the 90s in, the, in this particular book. Exactly. Uh, tell me about your struggles with uh, <laughs> technology and how that works, because they are a computer security firm, her thing. But that's. You've got some books coming, I'm sure. How are you struggling with technology, which is moving so quickly? Right, um, but you have to remember in 1999 in Paris, there were, in the world, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter. They were paying in francs, uh, not to euros until later. Um, you could smoke in the cafes. Jacques Chirac was president doing the things they later tried to indict him for. <laughs> um, you had a company in Mountain View run by Larry and Sergey, who, um, who had a, comp a company with 40 people. They had uh, free food. Their chef was the former chef of the Grateful Dead, and it was a little <laughs> company called Google, <laughs> 1999. So we're in that time, you know, mm -hmm. um, and whatever happened. And I know it's, it's hard to remember, but there were only three computer security companies in the U.S. when I first started writing. Can you believe wow. that? It was different. I mean, that is a, that's stunning. Yeah. You think? But they had cell phones. Yeah. There were all these things. In, in one story, Rene is doing, um, Rene is a computer hacker, so mm -hmm. he has friends in Silicon Valley who send mm -hmm. him programs to beta test. Mm -hmm. So he's beta testing something in a book, and Amy has her headphones on, and she's saying, you're telling me to go left and right, and where is this? And he, how can you do that? And he goes, oh, I'm just, I can follow you. And, and this turned out to be the prototype of Google Maps. Which, you know, was, I'm going on about no, that, it's but it's, you know, these things were around before they yes. were. Yes, and Google Maps, again, gives us the world, and we're going to leave Paris now. So I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I want to thank our viewers. You've been watching Books and Company. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We've been joined today by Cara Black, talking about her latest book, Murder on the Left Bank. Please join us again next time, when we'll be bringing you another good book. Cara, thank you. Thank you, Alberto. Okay. Books and Company is made possible by the Department of English at Arizona State University and by the Friends of Arizona PBS, members of Arizona PBS who give additional gifts to support original programs. Thank you.